It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This week's episode of Screen Talk is sponsored by HBO Max is on the record. Described by Rolling Stone as impossible to ignore, On the Record presents the story of music executive Drew Dixon as she grapples with her decision to become one of the first women of color in the wake of Me Too to publicly accuse hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons of sexual assault. From filmmakers Kirby Dick and A.B. Ziering of The Hunting Ground, the documentary dives into the ways women of color are too often ignored when alleging sexual assault and the cultural forces that pressure them into silence. On the Record is now streaming only on HBO Max. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. Uh, we have some really interesting stuff to talk about on the festival front, including Telluride, which announced its lineup this week. And, and we knew that was coming after Telluride had been canceled. And what's fascinating is that this is sort of part of that whole new normal thing, because Cannes did that with its Can 2020 selection. Now we have a Telluride selection. And what's fascinating in this case is that it came after we had some other festival lineups, some some stuff for New York, some so stuff for Venice. So we can sort of compare and contrast and yeah. see the ones that are... We know that Nomadland is playing everything, including right. the Telluride drive-in thing that's going to happen. The Holy Path remains intact, as Marriage Story did last year. So yeah. hopefully that that's a good sign. But there are some other interesting films in here that are, you know, some of them are at, say, Venice, but not in Toronto, like Gia Coppola's Mainstream with Andrew Garfield. That one's on Telluride, right? Right. Very curious about it. You've got Concrete Cowboys, a significant Idris Elba acquisition title that we saw in the Toronto lineup, also in Telluride. That's also in Telluride. So there's a, there's a range of stuff that raises some really interesting questions, like... One, what Telluride might have given a boost to this year. And also, uh, you know, what is the value of a Telluride lineup? Is it the laurels? Is it part of the conversation that allows people to pay closer attention to the films? I mean, we're talking about these movies, so something must have worked here. Well, one of the most important things, actually, practically speaking, is to be able to say, this was on the Telluride lineup, and now you can see it in Toronto. (laughs) I'm really curious to see how many people get to watch movies in Toronto, you know, besides the people in Toronto. How many press people can, industry people can, how much... Are there going to be people outside of, of Toronto who get to? I don't know. It's going to it's, be interesting. There's going to be some interesting questions. I mean, a lot of this is, is sort of technical, but it has to do with geoblocking. Right. And the, the new question that a lot of festivals are facing is how much do you geoblock? Because theoretically, you could bring in new audiences at the same time. That's right. For a long time, the festivals have had it makes value. some money. But, could, you know, yeah, for you a long time. For the tickets. But festivals have sort of derived part of their value from exclusivity. So maybe you don't want to open the floodgates. You go to Telluride. As I understand it, it is geoblocked. So right. it isn't open to the entire uh, general public. But there may be people from uh, who are legitimate industry people who might not have gone, who, who actually yeah. want to be able to, to check in. So you have on the dock side, for example, 
Uh, the Herzog, he always goes to Telluride, you know that. And yeah, they so named the a freaking worlds. theater after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, he'll the probably comet. go anyway. He'll just show he'll up and be the only guy. He'll probably be there, guy. yeah. The, the, the Comet movie uh, is going to be in both Telluride and Toronto. And then the MLK FBI movie is in both From festivals. The G and Franco Rosie Naturno is also in both. Also, looks great. Festivals, the Truffle Hunters, which is already in, We've seen in it. Uh, Sundance, is in it was on the can list. That's one of the ones that's on everybody's list. Well, the it's Truffle the Sony. Hunters. I mean, it, it, even with its inability to release movies because it hasn't done virtual uh, cinema anything, Sony Pictures Classics continues to be a part of the conversation with a movie that they acquired earlier in the year with the intent of relaunching in the fall. And this is obviously a documentary awards play. It's a it's a pretty arty movie, and it's it's charming and, and, and strange. I'll be curious to see exactly what kind of life it has in the environment that we have right now. But And then of- we have some new movies on the list, which um, one of them is uh, the new Liz Garbus uh, about Stacey Abrams. Which, yeah, which well, that's super timely. So yeah. hopefully, and, and then, then you got Don Porter's uh, documentary. The Way I See It about yeah. Pete Souza. And that's yeah. a focus so these- film. So yeah. I, it's hard for me to picture that um, movie. I mean, I... He's a fascinating character. I'm curious to well, know he's how behind much he, the scenes at the White House. Yeah, exactly. How much? Like, what is the narrative arc of this thing? How is it going to be an election season movie that actually gets people, you know, excited and stuff? I'm very yeah. interested. And the, the decision to put it in Telluride is notable because I did notice those laurels were in the trailer for the film. So, you know, the plan seems to be to to, to sort of use this festival platform in whatever form it takes to launch a doc like that. So, But the regular uh, suspects at this point, the usual suspects, are Ammonite, again, the Francis Lee r- lesbian romance with Kate Winslet, and then you have the father, again, you know, the, the Anthony Hopkins. Another and, Sony uh, classics push. Another Sony uh, Sundance uh, movie as well. And... Um, but the new ones uh, we saw, I did anyway, Charlatan, the Agnieszka Holland at Berlin. I missed I it. It screened movie. after I left. That was the Czech Republic, uh, Polish. Well, and they that could love be a, her. an Oscar submission from one of those countries. It's, 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 it's a very good uh, post-World War II uh, uh, scientist uh, portrait uh, who gets on the wrong side of, of uh, the Gestapo. When they've honored her at Telluride before, they've shown her series and all She's that kind of stuff. She's a wonderful director. So that yeah. makes sense. And uh, and then the other one uh, that I'm curious about, which could be sort of mainstream Brit uh, kind of, you know, Enchanted April kind of movie, Roger Michelle's The Duke. Um, yeah. I don't know never where know. that's going to end up. Really hard to tell with a movie like that. I mean, there's you know what certain... I mean? Because you've got that sort of mainstream Brit, uh, older actors yeah. thing going on. I mean, it know? might be just sort of solid and fits a certain kind of mentality of you know, an older Telluride audience member who kind of likes something that's not a total narrative curveball. You know, that allows them to get away with some of the other stuff that they show. That's that's sort of how it reads me. But again, I haven't. Yeah, seen it, so. I agree. Hard to tell. And then there's a lot front. of stuff that we may never see anywhere. That's the problem. That's the part that I find really sad is that I'm being deprived of the opportunity of seeing all these movies I've never heard of. Well, and you also, yeah, you have. you have some smaller stuff. You have stuff like, there's a new documentary from Keith Maitland, for example. I'm very curious about that one. You know, he did that documentary a few years ago about the shooter in Austin uh, that was all animated. Really interesting mm. filmmaker. So stuff like that, I mean, it's always a challenge at this time of year to get that stuff noticed. And, and if it's not an obvious slam dunk from an award standpoint, to get it 
to be a part of the conversation in some other kind of way. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens, especially since all these festivals that are happening have different kind of uh, sort of profiles. You know, if you think about it, you've got on the one hand, Venice, which is saying it's a physical festival, Toronto, which most of us are experiencing virtually, and then Telluride, which doesn't exist, but is still giving us some pointers. And then you have but New what York. I, here's what I will say about Toronto, and that is that it's much more like Telluride than usual. <laughs> it's just more curated. It's just a different kind of festival than it usually is. So let's talk the big, about the, let's the big talk theater, about, uh, you know, the big studio pictures. Yes. Yeah, New York announced a couple things. Well, New York announced an opening night film. So which, Nomadland uh, is the centerpiece. Yeah, we knew that a while ago, though. What we know now is the opening night film, which is Steve McQueen's Lover's Rock, a can. Uh, 2020 selection that's part so of the those anthology. were in can right the sh- these are these are uh, it, it, it was confusing it looked like it was a television play to begin with these movies but it's not it's i mean it's it is an anthology series but some they are of of different lengths and uh different subject matters They're standalones so so it seems that lover's rock is is the the big gem that stood out to a lot of people that was going to be the can competition title as opposed to the other ones that some of the others that were going to be in different sections and it's the one that new york film festival has figured out a way to show an on opening night now we don't know if it's going to be say screened for press as a standalone film and then released by amazon as a series or how that's all going to unfold but they've got an opening night film and one of the things they're saying is that they've also partnered with rooftop films and some other folks to do outdoor screenings so it seems like we're going to see New York Film Festival have a really interesting identity, weather permitting, in that it's almost like this this completely new kind of event that we've never had before. Well, they used to do lovely things out on the plaza there at Lincoln Center, and there's no reason not to take advantage of all of those spaces. Again, weather permitting. Yeah, no, I mean, it, but but I think it's going to be an interesting experience because, you know, the, the New York Film Festival You profile, get to go. <laughs> I hope so. If it happens, then You're I can go. You're in New York. But the profile I don't get that, to go. But, you know, the profile of that festival has always had been, you know, Alice Tully Hall and, and kind of the fanciness of it, which is not necessarily the people involved or even always the films that it's showing. Hey, it's look, to the extent that we're, you know, we're not going out to premieres anymore uh, and we're not getting dressed up anymore and... It's been a while since I put on a pair of high heels, you know. Uh, it's going to be uh, a different kind of casual thing. Yeah, you it's definitely not... don't need Red to wear... Red carpet's out. Glam is out. Yeah, you don't need to wear high heels to a drive-in. In fact, I it might be dangerous. I did talk to this guy. I did watch this panel where this guy who's a production designer talked about what the Emmy Awards might look like if they were done in that sort of uh, virtual LED screen way that the... Uh, Mandalorian was shot where you could have these virtual environments and you could recreate a kind of virtual red carpet and a virtual premiere and they could play around with different environments for different parts of the the awards. I'm really curious to see how that plays out. Look, I have a virtual I have two VR headsets now. When I first wrote about VR, I had a really crappy one. Now I have a slightly better one and I have to tell you the technology is there for us to have all kinds of crazy virtual experiences just we haven't quite adapt if this pandemic happened now we need them later if we had it if it happened in 10 years i think we'd have some really cheap technology where we could all just kind of walk around in some matrixy virtual world and have a film festival we're just go not to quite the, there. go to the hermitage and, yes. and look at the art <laughs> yeah exactly and that's the thing that i kind of miss and and every time we hear about some festival that's happening i'm like okay maybe it's not safe but also 
I really want to go to that thing if I can. Because there's something really unique about being on the ground and, yes, being stationary for two or two and a half hours or 90 minutes or whatever and watching the film, but then going to the party afterwards and seeing people in the lobby and having a conversation. Like, that sort of fluid aspect of the festival environment, something about that is so essential and we're feeling that. And my hope is that even something like New York Film Festival having social distance elements to it, we can still take advantage of some aspect of the environment uh, that will allow for that to come back. Uh, on that note, we should address Sundance because Sundance confirmed this week something that they seemed pretty keen on when they came on our podcast a couple weeks back, which was they're moving things up. Uh, I'm sorry, they're trying moving to get away late. from the inauguration. So they're yeah, going to do January that. 28th instead of January 21st. And they're going to be shorter. It's going to be a seven-day Much day shorter, festival. only a week. Yeah. And they're cut, and they're doing very physical, it was all announced uh, in Park City itself, uh, this kind of logistical, you know, less parking spaces. <laughs> you know, they're not taking over the town. It's not going to be the same. It's going to be a much smaller festival with a, you know, much smaller footprint. I mean, who could who could possibly imagine Sundance having, I mean, the, the, the kind of the insanity of running through the snow uh, when everyone's worried about any solid surface you're touching is just unfathomable. No, so, nobody's going to, it'll be local, but we're, we're going to be able to see things here in Los Angeles. So they got dispensation to be able to, to set up some different um, venues. I mean, speaking of venues, I mean, we noticed that the uh, critics in London got to see Unhinged in a screening room with special distancing. Um, we're all wondering how we're going to see Tenet. Yeah, I think we're wondering yeah. about that more than how we're, we're going to see worried. Unhinged. I, I don't care about Unhinged, but we're worried. Uh, we're worried about that because um, they might get to see it before we do, well, which is not the usual. Here, here's it's what, very what disconcerting. We report, what we reported this week, and this is actually fascinating because I think a lot of times it feels like inside baseball talking about press screenings, but when these big movies come along, where they do like in 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 the olden days, the the all media screenings were like say a couple hundred people in New York and L.A. would see the movie all at once, well, that would create news. And that was clearly what Tenet would do in, under normal circumstances. And the question is, what is the news cycle going to be when Tenet starts to screen? Now, what we reported was that Warner Brothers is actually looking into playing Tenet in these markets where it could be opening. Uh, so the question is, are we going to get those press screenings at the same time that they're showing you know, abroad in, in, in international markets? Or is everybody who's in the U.S. basically going to have to stay off the internet for a week to avoid spoilers? We don't know. I mean, if they, it's well, could open the a lot of Well, the word I'm hearing is that the best shot we have, at least here in L.A., is if there's some kind of IMAX screening. And then the only thing you have to hope, hope for is that you're on the list. But know? don't forget that IMAXs <laughs> are uh, closed still. So IMAX may there's, not there's, want you there. There's an IMAX uh like headquarters here. Right, but is, are they going to open, room. is IMAX going to room. open its screening room for something like that? They haven't that said that. That might be the case. That's what we're hoping for. The, the thing that I'm wondering is, we don't know yet, but Massachusetts has open movie theaters. Do I need to get in my car and cross state lines to go see this movie if it's not going to be here in New York? Because I, I'm really curious to know how other states that are well, actually Well, they can do a the screening movie. room if they want to. Yeah, it, I mean, they could, but they probably won't. They're saying they won't. They want to show it in the markets where it's opening. And it's not opening in New York and L.A. 
So why are they going to show it for, to us here? Well, those of us who have an inter- a national audience, which now is everybody. Thank you, but, but also an international one. <laughs> yeah, an international. So yeah. we have to argue for, for how far and wide we reach. Exactly. So it actually would be in their interest. And the question is also, what is the Oh, they're not going to skip the trades. The trades have to see it. How? Who's going to review it? It's an interesting question because if they don't show it in New York and they're LA. They're not going to show it to the Manola, the New York Times? Well, what's going to come out of that? It's going to open they're, in they're New York. They're not going to show it to the LA Times? Well, they're not going to show it to, to uh, Variety? Of course they are. I, I would like to think that's true, but I think that there, we have some serious logistical questions now involving you know, exactly how they would pull that off. I mean, well, the point is, is that they would have to do what they did in London, which is to be able to, to feel like there's a safe uh, uh, screening room with right. with enough distancing. But and, then you uh, also have there's so many different kinds of standards here, right? I mean, some writers might be like, well, I don't want to be forced to go into a movie theater. That's I don't their feel choice. safe. That's their choice. So, you know, well, they're not raise- sending links. No, they're not sending links. As much as I would love to watch Tenet on Vimeo, I don't think that's going to be And they're getting a Chinese opening. (laughs) Nolan's out there with his Chinese subtitles, Mandarin subtitles. So somebody's seen it in that respect and probably signed a gazillion different NDA agreements by now. Another movie, speaking of China, another movie that has been dated but is also going to be having a unique U.S. release, it sounds like VOD for the most part, is Mulan. We've been wondering about that for a while, and now we know off of the Disney earnings call. A lot of people were speculating about whether Disney was going to make that move and put Mulan on Disney+, and yes, they finally are. But they gave it a shot. I mean, they kept pushing it back and giving it new dates. It was supposed to open in March. They actually had a premiere right before the lockdown in L.A. And they had press screenings. Yeah, so they, I missed them, but <laughs> unfortunately, but um, so I'm I'm it's it's a it's a it's a fascinating case where they're going to be able to do the ultimate experiment. This isn't the same thing as taking trolls to premium VOD, which Universal yeah. did and did very well and made a lot of money with it. This is a different scenario where Disney Plus gets to keep everything. They're not going on other platforms. This is Disney Plus. So, all of it is theirs. But you still have they to pay the more. They're going to make even more. You have to more. subscribe. Yeah. You, you're a subscriber for six ninety nine a month or whatever, and then you have to pay 30 bucks if you want uh, to watch it. And presumably that'll mostly be families. If you do the math on how much it would cost to take uh, two parents and three children or something to see Mulan in a movie theater, it would be more than 30 bucks. But that, uh, see, that more. logic holds, and I'll be fascinated to see the data on it, except that... Do people want to spend more money? There's a fundamentally different category of experience spending more money on top of something you're subscribing to than That's buying a movie ticket. I think ticket. families have the advantage, you know, in this situation. But also, if you subscribe to Disney Plus, you can see the movie over and over and over and over and over again. It's yours. On right, the platform. which will be good for families too, because you got to keep your kids distracted. Assuming that's the, movie the kind of thing that, that welcomes re- repeat viewing. So, I mean, I can't wait to see it. Um, uh, hopefully, <laughs> they'll screen that too. Well, it's a very uh, complicated and controversial choice too, because I mean, coming off of this 17-day window that AMC Universal have ag- have agreed to, it raises some really interesting questions about what is if Disney does well with this. They they aren't supplanting the revenue they're losing from the big theatrical blockbusters, but it could point to the kind of future that they want because this is literally the only thing that seems to be successful about Disney right now is Disney Plus. 
Well, that's so. part of the issue is that they're on, they're on the ropes and they're struggling. What's interesting, too, is that they took an earnings call where they were laying out all the difficulties that they were having yep. and turned it into a, what we call a sow's ear into a silk purse. You know, they, they made it so that their stock went up uh, yeah. on Wall Street yeah, that was because some they, serious they did this huge reveal so yeah. so the the other the other thing the, all right so they're saying it's a one-off that this is not a new model i mean the the theaters i know i've spoken to them in the past i mean disney loves the theaters disney cares about the theaters well they didn't care about the theaters in this in this scenario because they needed to make some money and and the other uh question going going forward is is just how much pressure this puts on the theaters. Uh, AMC lost an unbelievable five hundred million dollars or something um, in the in the last quarter, and it's just horrifying. Like their business was down ninety eight percent. AMC is on the ropes. That's why they made the deal with Universal, which is going to share the PVOD revenues with the exhibitor. Yeah. Are the other exhibitors that have been saying this is a terrible deal going to look at this differently post Mulan? Disney Plus. It just looks like a serious threat. And even Paramount, which has been sort of sitting out the streaming wars, has a new streaming service coming online uh, in January. They have CBS All Access, but they're going to put much, much, much more uh, robust programming onto their streaming platform. Well, it seems to me like this, it's just going to keep getting to be more and more of a mess for a while. I mean, people are going to launch things that work and launch things that don't work, and so, but everybody's going well, to try to break the rules. And the other question is this, uh, Mulan cost, this is the most expensive original live action movie to go on at 200 million price point. That's how much that movie cost. And it, they would have been expecting to make over $700 million around the world on this movie. Now they're still gonna open it in, in, um, in some Lots markets. Yeah. And, and, and like China. And China yeah. is, is a big market for a movie like that. So, so. they're going to make some money in, around the world. They're just not going to make it here in the U.S. And it's the U.S. theaters that are going to have to sit and watch all of those views go. All that I, money I, I, straight I mean into to Disney's be, coffers. I don't mean to be glib about it. It just feels like every aspect of, of uh, American exceptionalism is getting a kick in the balls these days. No, so, quit, no kidding. You know, it's like, and it's fascinating. I mean, it's just fascinating to see the, the, this aspect of the industry that was so confident in terms of what it was doing, even as if you really looked at things, there was a constant sense of change in terms of who had real leverage in the business. It's just having to eat it. It's sort of interesting because what happens is that you have a question of knowing what's coming and knowing that it's going to happen, but wanting to hang on to what you've got and collect the short-term benefits of that as long as you possibly can. Right. And that's what I would say the theaters were doing. They didn't, they knew that they were just hanging on as long as they could, digging in their heels as long as they could. And the same is true of the studios who didn't create these verticals before, these streaming verticals where all their own stuff was on one platform. They could have, they could have done it a long they time ago. Have. They were still hanging just, on. They should have because Netflix got ahead of them. Yeah. That's what happened. There's a new standard bearer in Hollywood. I mean, you could quibble about different aspects of Netflix, but the reality is that, that this company was very smart in terms of understanding how to put all these pieces in place. And they didn't panic when the whole concept of streaming wars materialized because they knew what they were doing and a lot of these other they companies They saw are what was coming also. That's why they put on the 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 green light to 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 put billions of dollars into new content. content.
Yeah, and and, 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 and lose frankly, the content from the other people when they eventually caught up yeah. to what was really going on. It took them a while. It did, and and I'm curious to see how Netflix re-enters these conversations. Uh, you know, with the movies that it has to offer. I mean, we spent half this podcast talking about film festival circuit. No Netflix movies there. They were so smart they enough to see ahead of time where it was going to go and what the timeline was going to look like. And part of what all these people have figured out, I mean, some movies are in there, but they figured out that they weren't going to get the bang for their buck in this situation, nor were they going to put their talent in, in into any kind of peril. Here, Here's the other question, though. Um, <laughs> Netflix has this enormous Oscar lineup. I mean, they're not all going to pan out. They're not all going to be great movies, but it's a pretty robust fall selection of their own. Unless they and are, and they suddenly have this amazing... I mean, it is uh, It could be the Netflix Oscars this year. Well, the, the, this is a company that is very savvy in terms of when it surfaces in the news cycle, for the most part. And I think knowing that we're all talking about these films and we're not talking about Netflix movies is something that has to be part of a strategy. Because at a certain point, there will be pockets of time where... Those you don't want to surface. talk about the movies now. You want to talk about them later. Right. So it'll be fascinating to see what the rhythms, of, you know, what they're going to be playing along with what those rhythms are. Absolutely. So what would have been happening in October and November is now going to be happening in December and January. Exactly. And so forth. Exactly. It's, it really feels like through the looking glass, like this whole topsy turvy kind of a thing. Like, wait, what? That, that, that didn't sound right when you said it. January, February, that's for the crap movies, the studio dump movies, and then Sundance stuff, you know? So at least we'll get Sundance before the end of January, and maybe that'll be a nice sort of counterbalancing. There'll be some knows. stuff there, too. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. So there are some movies opening this week. I saw, I actually went to a world premiere, which was really gratifying. I went to a drive-in. That's the backdrop is a photo I took uh, from Rooftop Films in, in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Army Terminal. They did an outdoor screening of She Dies Tomorrow, which is now out on VOD. And uh, it was so cool to revisit this movie. I know you're a fan of it, too. We both saw it before South by Southwest was canceled, which was where it was originally supposed to premiere. And uh, I'm just, I, I just think the thing about this film is it's, it's not for everyone. It's really zany and and surprising. You kind of zany's not the right I word. I do think zany's right because it's, uh, it's. I don't it's, think so because you're dark, suggesting it's, that it's that it's got um, energy of, of of a comedy. And it it th- does. It's absurdist. I think it's, I think it's funny. I think it's like a Bunuel kind of funny. That's I mean, it's, good. Bunuel is appropriate. Yeah, but Bunuel can, isn't zany. No, well, I, I guess it all—it it all kind of depends. It's this not is dark plastic. like Bunuel. This is disturbing. It and is. You don't know what's going on, and you don't know if the woman's crazy or not, and you don't know what the rules of the world are. But it's there very are much rules. an interior. There is uh, chaos life in that that's respect. being brought to yeah. to bear. I, I I love the way the movie is sort of like at first. It, it you're not quite sure if you're just sort of watching this psychodrama about somebody or if something more is happening and it feels very avant-garde in certain points in time but then it 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 starts to open itself up to more kinds of personalities and observations and even then it's totally unpredictable and you know i think amy simons she did girlfriend experience movie before she before this eight years ago it's a while ago and before that she did uh, Sun Don't Shine, which was amazing. Uh, if you have Criterion Channel, no, no, no. Girlfriend it. Experience was more recent. It was Sun Don't Shine. Yeah, Sun Don't Shine was eight, was years, eight ago. years ago. But um, and Girlfriend Experience was a few years back. But but Sun Don't Shine, 
I think if, if you could see it on Criterion Channel, if you haven't, I mean, it's 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 they're, they're very complimentary it. to this film. I think I loved meeting her at South by that year, and she's an actress and she's a producer and she's been part of this whole generation of quote unquote mumblecore. Uh, oh God, up. Work I hate that word. Swamberg and we're you know it's just the group. It's just yeah. who they were. But I mean, the if time. the connotations of it's that not word. about. I know, I know. We <laughs> talked about this. It's not about being a Duplass or, or not being a Duplass. It's not it's a about, micro budget plotless movie. It's though. about young DIY filmmakers who yeah. came up a certain generation. Uh, David Lowry and and David and and even. Um, her her friend Barry Jenkins and her sure. her producer Adele Romanski. Yeah, there's so. something really singular about her sensibility as a filmmaker that I think links her with those other people in the sense that they they're able to build these really remarkable textures in their filmmaking, and then the story kind of gradually comes together, and so they don't rush into plot, and they're not super chatty films either. It's a very visual texture. It's not experience. about dialogue. Yeah. It's not about uh, standard story structure, but there is something going on, and she is very adept. I have to say, she has a great skill at working with tension and building momentum. And and getting you on the edge of your seat and this with you know certain horror techniques. Yeah, yeah. I saw the movie at the drive-in, and I have to say it's a pretty good drive-in movie because you're in a car, which it's sort of like claustrophobic already, and you're, you're playing it through the radio, which is a little disorienting at first, and the movie's getting under your skin. So you know it's not a big laugh out loud kind of movie like we were saying, but it definitely. There, there is something that kind of works about that kind of process. And it couldn't be more uh, atmospheric and timely in terms of what's yes. going on now. I Everyone's thinking the they're going to die. Before I mean, the, the lockdown. Yeah. And now we all wonder if today, tomorrow is going to be our, our last day. So uh, the other movie was, um, I, I went to the HBO Max premiere of Seth Rogen's new movie in American Virtual Pickle. Virtual premiere, right? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had pickles, <laughs> like I had knish, uh, okay. you know, I had potato chips. Okay, yeah. how was the knish? Very important uh, in a movie I like this. I still haven't, I actually haven't eaten it yet. <laughs> Most knish is a little overrated, I have to <laughs> no, say. No, I, I, so it was, um, so basically, it's funny. It's very funny. And it's also more challenging in terms of how they made it than you might think. Um, and I appreciate the fact that Seth Rogen recognized that a fake beard wasn't going to fly and he had to grow a real beard which meant that he played one of the parts the uh the old guy from the old country uh who gets brined for a hundred years and pops back up he played that part they shot that whole thing and he shaved the beard and they played then he played the other part and he had to match it perfectly throughout and uh it was a very challenging yeah, uh, thing to do. I thought they pulled it off. I we, saw the movie before I knew all of that. Yeah, so I have we, we've no seen idea. we've seen a lot. That it's a fascinating background. I mean, we've seen a lot of movies employ that employ that device of two uh, one actor playing two different characters together. Yeah, but, but they don't one, usually do. It. They usually jump around to, around to the other side right. right away, so it's fresh, and they all know how to what happened. So he had an yeah. actor that he played across from. Yeah, and, so then, it's and then complicated. he came back and and did the did the other side I, all of it. You know as. Uh, somebody whose last name is Cohn and constantly has to deal with, uh, you know, the, the the way in which uh, Jewishness in the movies is 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 uh, 
you know, looked at. I have to say, I, I appreciated the way that this was basically like Encino Man by way of Isaac Bashevis Singer or something. It's like <laughs> this, it, it just does not sound like an easy sell until you think about it. It's a like, little Rip Van Winkle. Yeah, yeah but yeah. the essence it's, of Rogan in this movie is actually a, a really funny joke. And I think it's one of his best performances, period. It's the hilarious. movie is, I, I found a little uneven tonally and it gets a little too carried away with like, satire of modern society and all this kind of stuff to the point where you can imagine that Sony, which when you wave your hand, you can see the flamingo. Yes. My background is not perfect. I'm not actually at a drive. It's interesting. It's a a big reveal. Uh, But, but, um, (laughs) but I would say that, uh, that the thing that, that I found really remarkable about, you know, watching this movie was, was that, um, that Rogan so fully commits to this character in a way that I haven't, I mean, not since Steve Jobs, where he I played the I think he's an Steve underrated Wozniak. actor. I think he's actually a very good actor. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. And a lot he, of times the material straight. isn't there. He's not working for less. He's yeah. playing these two parts but completely I, straight. The, but the other thing I was going to say is, you know, we talked about this with Greyhound a couple of weeks back when that movie was made at the studio level and then sold to Apple. Here you had something that was made by studio, made by a studio and then handed over to HBO Max. And you could see why again why that decision makes sense this is not a, an this is easy perfect sell. for hbo max actually yeah. it's better it's, for it's people's good. it's not rooms. a big visual wowza kind and of it's thing. also not for everybody it's <laughs> I mean, pretty basic it's it's a funny seth rogan movie it's not a stoner comedy even though but it's even a though, solid script that's the thing i like about him he and goldberg they they always they always have sharp smart good well dialogue written scripts so, you know, it's, it's nice to get some stuff released this way that's actually pretty good. So whether it's She Dies Tomorrow or American Pickle, we're certainly having an interesting summer movie season. So. Look, I'm also really enjoying Perry Mason. I <laughs> yeah, I know. Your TV is, is everywhere. And we're, I'm catching up on Rami right now, which is phenomenal. So all kinds of good stuff out there. And next week, I'm sure we'll have more uh, festival updates. So that should be fun. And uh, we'll be leaning into the end of the summer season i'm sure we'll get some other updates in terms of also antebellum you know, they pulled antebellum out too has been moved yeah. to vod that's so, going to pvod yeah pvod so and then who knows what might come next so uh go enjoy your knishes Anne, and uh i <laughs> will see you <laughs> stay safe i'll uh, see you next week no they made they made you make it yourself they gave you a little kit oh, you, know, we you get had to it. make we it yourself it. don't make your yeah. own knishes folks <laughs> okay bye-bye bye Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.